Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Heather McDonald has got the juices scoop. When you're on the road, when you're on the go, Juicy Scoop is the show to know. She talks Hollywood tales, her real life mister, segment serial data, and serial sister. You'll be addicted and addicted fast to the number one tabloid real life podcast. Listen in, listen up. Woo woo. Heather McDonald. Juicy Scoop. Hello and welcome to Juicy Scoop. Well, I've got a great show for you today. I have a little bit leftover juicy topics that made me pee in my pants talking to Brandy and Julie that I saved for you that you're listening to. And then I have a great interview that I also recorded a little while back. It's so juicy. It is about some of the greatest Hollywood stories that have ever been, ever been told by a hilarious storyteller and Hollywood insider, Scott Nathan. So get ready for a fun, juicy episode. And don't forget to go to heathermcdonald.net Get your tickets to all of my summer shows with some of your favorite Juicy Scoopers. Go there now. That's also where you sign up to be an extra. Get the extra Juicy Scoop as well as Patreon. All at HeatherMcDonald.net. Let's go. This girl said she has the, the world's largest feet. And she has to <laughs> fend off perverts. How big are her feet? <laughs> she, this is how New York Post Doesn't writes it. Doesn't look that big. She uses her huge flippers to kick pervs <laughs> to the curb. A Texas woman with the world's biggest feet. So she's constantly inundated with requests from creepy guys who want to purchase pics of her Titanic yeah, trotters. She needs to do an OnlyFans, honey. These are her feet. I still well, not the, are they the also, biggest feet of a woman? Do or, they have a rash? I mean, maybe, why are toes maybe. so spread apart? <laughs> like, what's going on in between her first and second toes? There's... What's going on here? Oh. Well, she broke the record uh, this past fall for having the biggest feet. Her shoe size is 18. Whoa. Like her feet are, her, her shoes right are bigger foot. than Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal. Wow. A woman. A okay. woman size 18. So who knows if they broke. I mean, my son is, has a size 14 and you, he has to order his shoes. They who? don't really Which carry son? 14. Drake. They don't carry. They only carry most stores like Vans and stuff don't have 14. Wow. Anyway, she broke the previous record of a woman with a size 16, and she's proud to have such big feet. Her Instagram has always been flooded with pervs, and the bigger the feet, the sweeter the treat, said one comment. She is a Christian and thinks it's morally wrong to sell pictures of her feet, so she doesn't have any plans to do that. Well, you're stupid. 
and she thinks it is disturbing. I don't. And she has to work with a custom show uh, builder in London, and each pair costs about $400. So she started a GoFundMe. No, no, just sell your giant yeah. feet pics. You have to do it. It looks and like she's been taking many... it, taking taking it in between those first two toes. I think she's been getting some action. Oh, in there. like they're they're putting their penises in that <laughs> yeah. toe. I think that's yeah. the gap. Well, maybe she puts her own penis. Do <laughs> you imagine the pedicure lady? Like your feet wouldn't even fit in those little toe no. things. She oh has my to get God. like the biggest razor, like yeah. To they don't um, even look that big in this picture. I wish there was a coke can British? next to it. We need yeah, something know, for like size. You know what I mean? Or what's that called? Where I, you can tell the two different sizes? Yeah, yeah. Like pro, like uh, like a comparison of sizes. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, Put a coke can there. Can you the right, the right foot is bigger. Oh, it's like my boobs. Yeah, one's bit way one bigger. bigger. One the is... right one is so much bigger than the left one. Oh, crazy. <laughs> I get picture. I get emails feel, all the time. Yep. Do you feel like your Titanic trotters? My Titanic trotters. Feel like someone is and, a little jealous. And I will take <laughs> pictures of them and sell. You know, I don't. I don't mind. Um, mm. This girl says, "I got two. I got two vaginas. Sorry, I have two vaginas. Um, but I use one for porn and the other for my husband." Does she mean her booty and her? No, she actually has two vaginas. Oh. Um, so <laughs> it's just you know another New York. Oh, this is a daily two mail. full vaginas. Yeah, she said I had two vaginas with a womb. Yeah, so what's two vaginas, <laughs> two <laughs> clitorises, two voles, yeah. two vulvas, two wombs, two lips, two no. four lips. <laughs> Wait, so she could so carry oh, babies okay, on each here's side. The deal. Here's the deal. Oh my god, Annie did the research. Wow, she has two sets of ovaries and two vaginas. Oh my god, she earns 12k a week on Pornhub and OnlyFans. Well, tell that Bigfoot girl to join you. You yeah. can do a collab. She's from Australia. She's a married mother. She has one vagina for work and another for play, so she doesn't see it as cheating. Uh huh. She was so anxious about sex for so long that she avoided it, and then she only lived with her dad, and she didn't want. She didn't have anyone to ask because she didn't know what to say because, you know, she was going to ask her dad about two vaginas. And she... Um, yeah, like two periods. She shows it off on OnlyFans. Oh. Her urethra is lower than usual and then the vaginas are on either side. She has oh. to double tamp on it. Oh my God. Do you think the period comes at the same time or is it different times? So this times? happens when two <laughs> separate ducts fail to join together and affects a 0.3% of women. Many people with the condition are left infertile, but she has had two babies. She, <gasps> Out of both sides? She has to use a condom. No, just the one side. The other side is just for porn. God. <laughs> How Brandy? did she decide? Oh, because she, she has to use a condom on in the okay. other vagina when she is pregnant to avoid getting pregnant twice. She should be always using condoms on the other side. She finds her condition fascinating and empowering. Well, true to form, as everyone in Australia, wow. she's completely beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so lest anyone think that she's popular on porn just because of her two vaginas. Nope, she's completely pretty. <laughs> I know when I went to Australia, I couldn't believe how attractive people were. They're so, and you can always tell too. Like nobody's they have a look. You yeah. know what I mean? Like they all like if you think of Margot Robbie. <laughs> yeah, and then like no, it's but the just, look of just, two vaginas, just, guys. Just how about that? It's the look of two vaginas. <laughs> all right, that's what I say. Oh, hey, good day to you. Hey, guys, I got two vaginas. Don't mind if I do. One's for porn, one's for my husband. He likes it. He's not cheating. <laughs> he says, what's in that one? I go, you don't want to know. It's from work today. I didn't clean it out earlier before I got home. Let me go douche real quick before I yeah. put yeah. some shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> 
I mean, how much tampons did she go through? Oof. Just all of it. It's oh yeah. Well, then she would have two tampons. Period. Oh, well, my one vagina to... likes tampons. My other one likes pants. <laughs> 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 I use a maxi pad on one side and a tampon on the other side. I don't mind it. Why not? Know what I mean, guys? I totally agree. <laughs> Sometimes it's just how it is. You guys have been to Australia a bunch of times, huh? No, we've only been once in New Zealand, but we like love it. Yep. Yeah, I've only been, I've been twice, but it, it was for work at when we were in Chelsea and we went to Sydney. But and didn't you like it? Beautiful. Yeah. Just be, yeah. just clean, beautiful, fun, attractive, people are people, fun. And just nice people. Um, yeah, well, they speak my language, yeah. English, so it's not scary for me as a dum dum who hasn't traveled a lot. <laughs> you're gonna start though, yeah. Because know, you're traveling to now. Yep. You're taking me right on all of our well, trips. I know that you are. I can see that your trajectory. Where you're gonna be all off into all the European lands. Absolutely. As always, you guys remember to go to julieandbranny.com to follow their podcast and Patreon and all their good stuff. And now for a really juicy, juicy stories straight from inside Hollywood with my new friend, Scott Nathan. Hello and welcome to Juicy Scoop. I'm very excited to talk to a brand new guest, one of my wonderful discoveries from TikTok. Um, Scott Nathan, I talked about you with hilarious fortune feemster. Maybe it wasn't very flattering, but you have a really good sense of humor. Thank you. Incredible stories about Hollywood. You're a famous photographer, and I just really like your attitude. Thank so you. welcome to Juicy Scoop. Thanks. Thank you for being brave enough to come. Thank you for having me. And Fortune, if you're out there, and I know you are, thanks for making fun of my face. I didn't put on pants for three days after that. <laughs> but All right, so Scott, just give us a little background. Where did you come from? How did you fall into this Hollywood life with such great knowledge about the world? All right. So I grew up on, in the north shore of Chicago in uh, jaded suburbia. Any John Hughes film you've ever seen, that's where I grew up. Oh, you know, okay. Ferris Bueller, Risky Business, just like, just like white bread America. Uh-huh. Um, and... Uh, it was a, you know, it was a very normal, you know, suburban childhood, you know, rode our bikes everywhere and, you know, went fishing and climbed trees. And, you know, and I remember when I discovered this place, uh, we went out. LA. Of, we, well, Cal well, yes. Uh -huh. So circuitously. So we went on a family trip to California. So we flew into San Francisco, did all that stuff, the Fisherman's Wharf, the Alcatraz, all that stuff. Yeah. And then we took a road trip. My dad rented this big Lincoln Continental, which I'm giving my age away. Yeah. I think we're contemporaries. Yeah. So we're driving this land yacht down PCH, and we took this, and I remember coming down and seeing, you know, it's the dead of winter. It was like Christmas vacation. I'm seeing palm trees and smelling jasmine in the air and we're driving down pch i see all these beautiful beaches and we took that left onto sunset boulevard and i see all these gated homes and orange trees and i'm like in the back seat and i'm like excuse me why don't we live here <laughs> and you know chicago in the winter love yes. you love you chicago but it's like a warsaw post office it's dark it's depressing and it's miserable and my parents said in that moment that they, they remember that moment and they knew that someday they would eventually lose me to this place. Oh, okay. And we stayed at this hotel called the Westwood Marquee, which is now the W in Westwood over by uh -huh. UCLA. And, right. And uh, yeah, it was it, it reminds me, do you remember How that? old were you? I was probably nine then. Okay. 
And do you remember that movie, The People versus Larry Flint? Yes, of course. So there's this amazing love. Yeah, there's this amazing moment that cuts from the first to the second act of the movie where Woody Harrelson says to the guy who plays his brother, he goes, We need to move to a place that accepts perverts. And it wasn't really, it wasn't exactly the same. And then there was a smash cut to like a helicopter shot swirling over Wilshire Boulevard over the Flint building. Right. And I never really felt like I fit in growing up in Chicago. It was very like preppy. And square, and in my you know twenties, I had hair down to here, and rode a Harley Davidson, and I, you know, I worked in the in music there. I was a concert promoter, and I worked for a music publishing company, and I'd run into my friends who were like suits, and they'd be like, "What are you doing? It's the middle of the day. What are you riding a skateboard to lunch for?" Yeah, and it just wasn't. And then I moved here, and I was just like, "Okay, everyone's weird. These are my people." Okay, so you moved here at what age? I moved here. In March of 1994, just before the Northridge earthquake, so that would have put me at about 28. And did that scare you, the earthquake? No, because I I actually, everyone said I was so lucky, I missed the earthquake. I had to fly back to Chicago for 14 hours to go to a court date, which is probably a story for another time. Um, and uh, And I missed it. And uh, and the earthquake turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me because I had just moved here. I had no money. I was couch surfing. I was moving from one friend to the next and probably at the beginning of wearing out my welcome. Okay. Then the Northridge earthquake hit, and my friend's dad had just built this big mansion on Mulholland Drive in one of those gated communities. And the house was... Back after the earthquake happened, you either got a green tag, a yellow tag, or a red tag. Right. Red tag, uninhabited. Green green tag, no problem. Yellow, needs repaired. His house got yellow tagged. And we nicknamed the house Hotel Beirut because it looked like it had gotten bombed and it was pre-9-11. So that was our frame of reference for bombed places. So like six, <laughs> six chimneys had fallen and the pool cracked into the mountain. And my friend's dad was just like, Scott, um... Do you have a place to live yet? And I said, no, Jerry, I don't have a place to live yet. And he said, well, you could stay in the house. Uh, just, you know, just keep an eye. Make sure that the workmen don't steal the pool furniture. And I'm like, that's fair. And uh, and all these celebrities lived in this gated compound. Like my first day. I oh, went, so he was having people fix it, but he wanted one he person to yeah, make he, sure. He was real type A. He could never live with all that dust and construction. Right. So but he, he, but so he was he, happy to have someone be on the property to keep it exactly. On. So he okay. rented a big house on the Wilshire corridor because he can't get he can't handle dust. Right. So like I would figure I'll walk around the neighborhood. I'll check it out. So I'm walking around the neighborhood my first day, and I got hair down to here. And people probably thought because I'm in this big mansion that I was like in a band or something, you know? Yeah. So I, I, you know, I'm a polite Midwesterner. So I see a guy left his lights on in his driveway and people don't ring each other's bells in gated communities or really in LA in general. No, actually my joke is that I I grew up here my whole life, but my joke in stand-up because I started stand-up shortly after or right around the earthquake, it was like... It, you know, an earthquake is great because it's when you meet your neighbors. Like, literally, it's nobody exactly knows. What nobody knows their neighbors until there's an earthquake. And, you know, and that's even happened in the 90s. So, so you see the so light. So, I'm walking around the neighborhood. I see someone left their light on on the Mercedes, and I ring the gate, and I hear a very, like, suspicious, like, uh, hello? And I go, oh, hey, it's Scott. I'm your neighbor. You left your light on in your car. And the guy goes, oh, that's so nice of you. Let me come down and say hello. And out walks a shoeless with a T-shirt and shorts, Wayne Gretzky. Oh, okay. He goes, how you doing, man? I'm Wayne. And I'm like, I, I know. 
I was like, I was at your first game against the Blackhawks in Chicago. He's like, really? You're a hockey fan? I'm like, yeah. And so he was incredibly nice. And I'd walk the neighborhood at sunset because it's a beautiful place. And like Paula Abdul and Emilio Estevez lived up the street. And Isaac Tiger at the Planet Hollywood guy lived there. And Shaquille O'Neal, who I never saw, but apparently he had the house down the street. And Chris McCarron, the winningest horse jockey of all time, random. He yeah. lived up the street. And Vanna White and George Santo Pietro, they lived there. And it was all this like funny little neighborhood. And I was so broke at the time. Like I didn't even have gas money to go down the hill to Ventura to get gas. So there was a couple month period where I was pretty much living off avocados and oranges on the trees. <laughs> but my skin looked great. <laughs> So ha then what? when do you start to make some money like to buy some protein? So then, well, first, you know, I, I worked in music in Chicago, so that was my plan was to continue that. Being so a concert promoter? and I was a concert promoter, and I worked in, um, like, the music publishing version of A&R. So I was, I, we were work, I was working with uh, songwriters and artists. Um, and my plan, I'd kind of done everything you could do in Chicago. I worked for an affiliate of Warner Brothers, Warner Chapel Music. And this was kind of a golden age in Chicago, too. It was like when the Smashing Pumpkins were just coming up and Material Issue and Liz Fair. And Chicago was kind of hot, but I had done everything you could do there. So I wanted to get a job. And I figured, you know, I was, you know, a, a, you know, fairly successful in Chicago. So I thought getting a job would be really easy here. Well, it wasn't. And I'm kissing frogs and nobody's hiring me. And uh, and then Napster happened. Remember that? Oh, the way the music all changed. So Napster was an app and it, no one had to pay for music anymore. Everybody was stealing it. It was started by that guy, Sean Parker, who is one of the Facebook guys. Um, thanks for that, too, by the way. Um, and uh, And then I, you know, I kicked and screamed. And eventually I got a job with Atlantic Records, which I think lasted for three weeks. And then I got laid why? off. Oh, I, ne like, oh. I never got an answer why, but I assumed it was just that everyone was getting laid oh, okay. off. The music business was dead to rights. And it was before Steve Jobs came up with iTunes and 99 Cents oh, okay. and the beginning of saving the music business. So I'm like, what am I going to do? I, I need to keep the lights on. I mean, I didn't even have lights at this point, but I, I, I yeah. had to figure out something to do with my life. So I was just like, well, Napster, this internet thing is new. And this other kid I grew up with my friend Parker, who was a screenwriter who had brief success until he wrote a movie that everybody hated called Super Mario Brothers with Dennis Hopper and Bob Hoskins, and he basically never worked as a writer again. But he was a but he was but he was a brilliant artist, and he was a great art director at Leo Burnett and a few other advertising agencies. I'm like, you're a great designer. I'm pretty good at talking to people. I'll bet we could kid these website things are new. I'll bet you I could convince people in the movie business that their movies need websites. And he goes, give it a go. Because he didn't have any money either. Uh, and he said Dennis Hopper used to hit him in the head with the script every morning, uh, yelling at him how bad the script was, which, to be fair, it was a terrible script and a terrible movie. But, you know, <laughs> we all got to eat. So Parker and I started this web design agency. And, uh, and we did a ton of websites, and not just in the movie and TV business, but also in the fashion business. Uh, and it and it was rocking. It was it was doing great. And, and this was the golden age of websites. Now websites. Everybody needed a website. Yeah. And you could charge. And it was expensive. And you, yeah, Nobody else knew how to do. Everything it. had to be coded by hand, yeah. so you could charge a lot of money. So it's just like you know, I got uh, I I was 
I was working for Universal a lot. I was working for Disney a lot. And they were paying like, you know, $100,000, $125,000 for a movie website. And then we're getting these freelancers to do them for $3,000, $4,000, $6,000. I'm now suddenly, again, eating in restaurants and playing golf and uh, able to get my own place. So that's kind of how all that started. Okay, so then what, how did the, how did you then get into the commercial world? Because you were like a big commercial guy. And I, and I think, and I could totally see why, because as a kid, I, I had an agent, you know, my, all my siblings, my two sisters and I, we had agents. And so you were, you were a kid actor. Yes, but I was very unsuccessful. But my sister was more successful. She's blonde, blue eyed. And at that time, that's what they wanted. But the thing that always, that every agent wanted was a redhead. A redhead worked. It was so still, rare. Still does. Yeah. And I actually have a friend whose daughter was a naturally re- natural redhead, and she got so angry because at one point the con- her competition was starting to dye their hair. The moms were dyeing their, like, six-year-old's hair red so that they, you know, could be that one redhead. One of my agents ad. told me we're the only white people that still work in commercials. And it's because be- it's spot color. Because if you're doing a group of people at an office, you need the black guy, you need the Asian lady, you yeah. need the ginger. Yeah. And, and there's just a lot of gigs for redheads. So <laughs> it all happened. Uh, I was, I was, uh, through, it was all through a photographer friend of mine. It was this guy, Davis Factor. Do you know him? I've heard the name. So Davis know. and his brother, Dean, were Smashbox Studios, Smashbox Cosmetics. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, and we had just finished playing golf over at Mountain Gate. And he said, there's a party at Fifth and Sunset Studios. So I said, okay, let's go there. So we're a little like, sweaty in golf clothes. But back then, I was going through this phase where I just felt like dressing like a really tacky 70s golfer. It was just like a shtick of mine. I started with the plaid pants and the big boat sail collar shirts. It was just to be funny. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, It can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. And, uh, and we walk into this party at Fifth and Sunset, and this woman who talks like a drag queen, but she's like a blonde lady from Pasadena, she comes up to me and she's like, oh, sweetheart, you are like geek chic. And I was like, thanks? And she's like, no, no, you are like, sh- you are like a super nerd. And I'm like, can you leave me alone, please? And she's like, you should sign with my agency. Now I was just starting photography. And I was like, oh, you represent photographers? She's like, no, I represent actors. And I said, listen, lady, I will never, ever be someone with a headshot. She goes, why not? I said, I've just... Now, how old are you at this point? I'm in my 30s. Okay. Uh, and she's like, why? 
And I said, I've just never wanted to have a career where where the where the uh, insult could also be the occupation. Like shut up, <laughs> like shut up, you effing actor, which is you know a frequently thrown around thing. Whenever yeah. someone says something dumb, you're just like shut up, actor. Yeah. Um, and then I blew her off. And then I see her a week later. I'm like, oh my god, here's the drag queen talking lady again. And she's like, honey, did you change your mind? You gonna sign with my agency? I said, no. Listen, I'm not an actor. I'm not even an extrovert. Like, I am a weird, shy, dorky person. I'm not an actor. I will never be an actor. And then one of my other friends knew who she was, and he goes, you should sign with her agency. I said, why? I don't know how to act. And he said, listen, you can make tons of money, and you can get health insurance. I said, hold on a second. Did you just say health oh, insurance? Every, it just, it's the ultimate flex. Like, yeah, just say like, that you have health insurance. Oh, it's like health insurance no way oh all right fine i'll give it a go so i said do i have to get a headshot she goes yes you have to get a headshot so i so davis was shooting i think it was jennifer love hewitt for the cover of premier magazine he was like i have a shoot tomorrow stop by the studio i'll shoot a couple rolls on you so i said all right so i went when they were on lunch break i just jumped in the light that jennifer was in davis shot two quick rolls on me and i was such i didn't mean to be a dick but i was such a dick that i took i didn't even process the film i took the exposed film and i drove over to her office at her agency and i just put them on her desk and left and she was really nice and believed in me, I guess. And she processed the film and had headshots made. And she sent me out on an audition. And the first commercial audition she sent me on was for Toyota. And we had to wear these, like, Lakers warm-up jacket, warm-up suits. Like, you know, the warm-up suits. And you know they have the breakaway pants? Yeah. So the guy goes, okay, so here's the setup. You're going to rip off the breakaway pants and you're going to be wearing a red Speedo bathing suit. And I said, I'm out. He goes, what do you mean you're out? I said, I'm not. You're not videotaping me in a Speedo with these pasty ginger legs. <laughs> He's like, really? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm out of, I'm out of here. And I just left. <clears throat> and I, but I felt bad because the, yeah. the agent was nice. And I said, listen, I, you, I really like that you believe in me and you're a nice person, but I'm not cut out for this. And she goes, sweetheart, before you quit, just promise me you'll go on a couple more. And I said, fine, I'll go on a couple more. So the next day I went on an audition for, I think it was Dell Computers. And it was the easiest audition in the world. I literally was sitting at a desk, clicking a mouse, looking at the screen, and I booked it. And it was a huge national network commercial, and I made $65,000 from it. And I was on for about one and a half seconds. I should pull it up here. Um, it was literally click, click, click. And I'm like, wait, money's falling from the sky. There's money coming in the mailbox every day. And I'm like, I think I could be an actor. Yeah, sure. So I just, because I think because I didn't care, I just went on a bender. And it's I. It's like crazy because it's I, the amount. Of effort that just to get it for me to get a commercial agent to book anything. I think I only booked one thing in like a couple years, and I actually got dumped by the commercial agent the day I got like some. I think I got a sit a my first sketch show, and that day that I got the sketch show, they sent me a letter saying we're dumping you because you've like not booked anything, and like and I and I used to think about like God, how do they make any money there's like five people working here and i don't book anything like are people really booking stuff but i guess you know you get someone like you and it's amazing that like people work so hard on it and they take acting classes how to be a, commer a good commercial actor and, and that's you, the problem and you and you you think feel so bad about yourself when you don't get it and it really is so random and so not personal and so not about talent Nothing at all. They, they, yeah. they, anyone know? Look, I've directed commercials now, and you. I always used to look at the people at the callback 
as adversaries. Yes. When really, they just want to go to lunch. They want to book the person and get the hell out of there. They're rooting for you. You know, that's so interesting because I said that it took me so long to realize in any job that, you know, when you go and you're, you know, especially when you're young and you're trying to make it, whether it's acting or any job, you feel like the person is going to, yeah, is an adversary, doesn't want you to do well. I'm like, no, they want the person to walk in to be the one. They want you to be they the first to, one. They, they want, want you they to want check book off. You yeah, and be done. And get out of there and, and go to lunch. done. And so it's like, I wish I would have had that attitude earlier because it would have made life so much easier. I was I was so lucky that, so you know that actor Rex Lee, the really funny Asian guy from Entourage? Yeah. Plays the gay yes, guy? Yes, yes, yes. So he was a session runner at, I think, Ross Lacey. He was one of those big casting directors. He was the session runner, the guy in the room that tapes people. Yeah. You know, when he was a journeyman trying to make it as an actor. And I choked. I choked in the room. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not cut out for this. He's like, sweetheart, just stop. Just slow down. We're going to do this as many times as we have to to get it right. And I still run into him once in a while. And I'm like, I would never have kept going if it weren't for you, Rex, because he was so kind and so nurturing. And that's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. so I booked 40 commercials as an 40? actor. 40? 40. I, because I didn't care. Because they'd be like, it's going to be like an hour wait. And I'd be like, well, then I'm leaving. And they're like, okay, you can come in next. Because I just didn't oh care. Oh, my God. And that's the that... way the universe works. Yes. It's... <laughs> It always greases the palms that they don't can, need grease. They can smell desperation. And I don't like And it. if you have the desperation, it's hard to hide. Even if you think you're hiding it. They know when you're hungry and they'll yeah. give it to you. Yeah. So, and that's why everything I've tried to manifest, they're like, no. But the things I don't give a shit about, I always get. <laughs> so you call it reverse manifestation? Yeah. I used to call it the anti-secret. Like, because the secret, oh, the people secret. Talk about, yeah, the yeah. secret is the same type of thing. And I would do this thing where I would, I would just, it wasn't totally anti-secret. It was like, I'd see somebody like me that's maybe a few years older than I am on pursuing the same thing. And I would be like, well, I don't want to be her. I don't want to be that at 35. Whatever her life is, that's not what I want. Yeah. And so I would, would do a little bit, it's like a weird thing, but I would kind of, it's not an actual like name, but you know what I mean? I think sometimes people do that where you're like, that could be me if I don't make a left now, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, okay, continue. So you're so while you're doing the commercial is when you then started to become a famous photographer? Well, I, I really, look, I was always a photo enthusiast. I got my first dark room at like eight or nine years old. And how that happened was my dad used to rent office space. When he was first starting out, he rented this tiny office space about the size of this room. And he sold electrical supplies. And But he happened to rent a building that was all photo. It was all photographers with studios. Kodak had offices there. Ford Models had offices. But what I liked, why I liked going to work with him was there was this beautiful deco building with the manual elevators, but they had these silky smooth marble floors, and I used to like to skateboard up and down the hallways. So one day, this guy stopped me in the hallway, and he's like, hey, can I take your picture? And I was like, I don't know. I was told not to talk to strangers. <laughs> and so he's like, no, I think I could use you as a model for some stuff. So I said, well, come back to my dad's office, and you can ask my parents if it's okay. And my parents were like, do you want to do it? I'm like, yeah, sure. Uh, so as a kid, you were the so, desirable so, so, redhead. So I was very briefly a child model, but I really yeah. didn't like it. But then, but I, what I, I really liked is what those guys were doing. So I would, when I'd go to work, I'd go knock on all the photographers' doors and I'd be like, are you shooting today? No. Are you shooting today? No. Are you shooting today? Yes. I'm like, can I watch? They're like, if you sit on that stool in the corner and you don't say anything, you can watch me shoot. 
So I I was obsessed with that. So my dad was like, what do you want for Hanukkah one year? And I was just like, I, I want, you know, he's like, do you want an air hockey table? Do you want a bicycle? And I'd be like, no, I want a dark room. And my mother's like, you're not, he's not playing with dangerous chemicals. He's eight or nine years old. And my dad's like, he's not going to drink them. So they built me a dark room. And I was like a nerdy kid with a camera. And now everyone walks around taking pictures. But I was always taking pictures. But my parents are like, you are never turning pro. And I said, why? And they're like, because the arts are for imbeciles, which they're not wrong about <laughs> in hindsight. But they're like, they, I mean, they had my best interests at heart. They were like, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be a businessman. And if you think you're going to college for art, uh, think again, because we're not paying for it. And I'm like, well, I don't want to go into the workforce. I still don't. So did uh, you go to college? Yeah, I did. I went to the University of Colorado Boulder. Oh, but what was your major then? <clears throat> Psychology, but only because it had the highest enrollment of women. Oh. I, I knew I was going to go in the music business, so I'm like, let's just get through this and make it last as long as we can, and we'll ski and we'll rock climb until they tell me I can't stay there anymore. Okay, so um, okay, so you have some other great stories. So you're doing this. Now, one, um, one story I want to get into a little bit is how I discovered you, right. which was your story of telling how – how you are the gold digger. How did you call it? The gold digger or the... The whore whisperer. The whore whisperer. <laughs> she called me that. I didn't call myself she, that. Your friend did. Yeah. So tell the story. Okay. So it all began... Uh, it all began at a photo shoot for a startup hair brand in Orange County. And that's like, I didn't plan on being the beauty guy, but I became the guy who shoots hair, a lot of hair and makeup advertising. Uh, but... We can get to it, but the first campaign I shot was I booked my broke friend Katy Perry to be the face of Two Faced Cosmetics. And as the saying goes, you chop down one tree and everyone thinks you're a lumberjack. So I became the beauty guy because that's where the work was. Um, <laughs> so, and I also don't ever allow people to be mistreated. My set policy is you're not allowed to yell at anybody on set unless they make more, more money than you. Therefore, you're not allowed to yell at anybody on set. So uh, this was a busy day. I think it was a hair color campaign, and we had like six models to get through, which is a big day. So I'm like, you know, look left, look right, look up, look down, next girl. And so I'm shooting, 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 and then we get to the third or fourth girl, and my assistant, Stuart, goes, I go, bring out the next girl. He goes, she doesn't want to come out. I go, what do you mean she doesn't want to come out? And he says, uh, she's locked herself in the janitor's closet, and she's crying. I go, about what? He goes, so I go, take me to the closet. So I go to the closet and I go, I'm like, Scott, Annie, it's Scott. She goes, you can't come in. I'm like, Annie, the show must go on. She's like, okay, you can come in. No one else. So uh, I walk in and she is like, all her makeup's ruined. The mascara is streaming down her chest. She's wearing nothing but a nude thong. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. She's you know, like, I feel bad for this kid, but she's also ruining my, the timing of my day. Yeah. So I sit down next to her and I'm like, what's wrong? And she says... That D-bag with the tattoos and the Range Rover cut off all my hair and called me the C-word. And I go, what guy? And she goes, you know, the tanning bed guy. And I go, oh, no. And it's the client. So uh, I'm like, I can't. You know, what am I going to do? I can't. So the client wanted her to have short hair for the shoot? D didn't ask her. Cut all her hair off. Her hair was this beautiful, glorious hair. And in the modeling business, that's a huge deal. Like, if you're cutting someone's hair more than three quarters of an inch... There's always a huge pay bump, and you get the permission of both the model and the agent. And this guy cut her hair to here. <gasps> and I go, he didn't ask you? You didn't get paid for it? She goes, no. And he called me a C word. 
So I flip because I'm a, sometimes a ginger with a hot temper. And I walk out to the guy and I go, did you just cut all my model's hair off and call her the C word? He goes, yeah, I own that C for, for 10 hours. I'll do whatever the F I want <gasps> to her. And I was just, I was livid and I just lost it. And I go, Stuart, pack up the trucks. We're out of here. And the guy goes, you leave and I'll effing sue you. And I'm like, oh, great. I'd been in one lawsuit before in my life and no one wins them except lawyers. And I won that lawsuit, but it doesn't matter. So, so, so he's like, you got you to gotta finish it. So I'm like, all right, here's the deal. You're going to pay her for the day in a check and that check had better be gold or you will ne never get the files and let's just get through it. So we did the shoot. Without her. Without her. But mm -hmm. I had four or five yeah, other yeah. models. And we got through it. So the girl got my name off the call sheet. And she said, that was really nice of you. No one has ever stood up for me before. And Aww. I said, well, I'm happy to do it. That guy's a dick. I will never work for him again. And she says, I want to take you to lunch. And they always, that always happens. It's just like, I, you know, it's like I'm, unless I have a job, I really don't want to put pants on. <laughs> so, she, <laughs> so, she's, so she's like, come on, let me take you to lunch. And I was just like, you really don't have to. I was happy to do it, and I wish you well. And she's like, just please let me take you to lunch. It would make me feel better. So I take her to lunch at the place on my corner on Sunset. And we're sitting there. We're having just like a perfectly normal. And she told me that her parents were like traveling ministers. She grew up like very Christian in central California. And we're like 40 minutes into lunch, and we're about to ask for the check. And she goes, do you have sex? And I said, yeah, I guess. Sure. <laughs> so we go back to my place, and we do some sex. And I figured I'll never hear from her again. And I was just like, all right, well, you know, I guess doing a good deed sometimes pays off. Yeah. And that went on for years. I never knew where she was. And sometimes... You mean you were like friends with a benefit? Exactly. Okay. I mean, it's just a young girl. Legal. Yeah. But young. You know, yeah. too, too young for me. And uh, and I never knew where she was, and I'd look at her Instagram, and she was always in all those suspicious places that you wonder the about. The yachts and the uh, yacht, Dubai. Kentucky Derby, Dubai, the Cannes Film Festival, TIFF, Sundance, you know, all those places. Okay. So, and I'm without judgment. I'm just like, do what you got to do, girl. You know, like, I don't care. <laughs> and I'd hear from her once in a while. And when she did, I would be like, sure, come on over. You know, it's all bonus for me. I'm under no illusion that I'm going to, you know. Marry her or something. Fall yeah. in love with this girl that's too young to be my daughter. Yeah. So uh, uh, so she uh, so she says, hey, I'm coming. She calls me from San Tropez. And, <sighs> Another and she, great place. And she says, yeah. hey, I'm going to be in L.A. for a few days. Can I stay with you? And I'm like, yeah, you can stay with me. So uh, she stays over Friday night, stays over Saturday night, sleeps over. And then she's like, I'm going to take a shower. I said, like, go ahead. And then all of a sudden I feel the sheets vibrating. I think it's my phone. So I reach for my phone and hers is the same iPhone as I as mine, you know, the big one without a case. Yeah. So I go to look at her phone and it said, you have a, you have a, you have a, a message from Mohammed. It's seeking arrangements. And if you guys don't know what that is, look Oh, we know what that is. That's the Sugar Baby Sugar Daddy website. Yeah, the, the sort of like the centerpiece, the yes. big one. So, uh, so I'm just a wise ass. So she's in, she's getting ready, putting her makeup on. I go, hey, babe. And she goes, yeah, babe. I go, you have a message from Muhammad in Seeking Arrangements. She goes, oh, my God, are you spying on me? Why are you looking at my phone? I said, I thought it was my phone. But I didn't want her to, like, storm out and slam the door. Yeah. So I wanted to feign interest in it. So I go, tell me how this works. I didn't really know back then. Yeah. I said, show me your hustle. She goes, you want to see my hustle? I said, I want to see your hustle. So she goes, watch this. So she calls the guy back, and the guy goes, hello, I am, I am he has a very thick Middle, East, Middle, Eastern, uh, Middle Eastern accent. Right. And says, I'm staying at the Peninsula Hotel. I would like to take you to lunch. And she says, it's $1,000 to take me to lunch. He goes, yes, no problem. And she goes, will you take me shopping too? He goes, yes, no problem. 
So she's like, all right, I'm not going to have sex with this guy. But um, she goes, I only have sex with like 3% of them. And they're the, you know, only the hot ones that I would have sex with anyway. And I'm like, do whatever you got to do, babe. So uh, she's like, can I come back in like two or three hours and we can hang out some more? So I said, sure. So true to her word, she's gone for a couple hours. She comes back. She's got one of those Saint Laurent bags, like for like high boots, I guess, the ones that are the size of this table. Yeah. And then like another medium sized Saint Laurent bag, and then a small Gucci bag. And I go, "You did all right." And she goes, "She goes, yeah, I got you a present." And she hands me the Gucci bag, and I go, "What's this?" She goes, "I got you a present." So I open it up, and it's this shoe box, and I open it up, and it's these. I don't, and it was these horrible Gucci slippers that were like velvet with the fur. Remember yeah, those, when, yeah. when that was the rage? And I said, first of all, how'd you convince the Arab guy to buy you a pair of Males, men's shoes? Yeah. And second of all, how'd you know I was a size 11? And she said, oh, um, I told him it was my dad's birthday and I didn't have any money. And I checked your closet. And I'm like, you're pretty cool. And she's like, you know, I, I said, are you getting rich from this? She goes, no, that's the problem. I'm only rich in luxury goods. I have like no money. I said, new rules, you're only going shopping at Barney's and Neiman Marcus. And she said, why is that? And I said, because those are the only places where you can get cash back on a return. Uh, so I forgot that I even told her that. Didn't hear from her for three months. Then she calls me and says, wait, I'm going some water. She calls me and she's like, Daddy, you're a genius. And I was like, why am I a genius? <laughs> Daddy. And she says, do you remember what she says, do you remember when you told me to go to Barney's and Neiman Marcus for gifts? And I said, Yeah. She goes, I've been returning stuff. I have like $35,000 in my bank account. You're like a genius. You should be like a you should be like a, a coach for for sex workers. You're like a whore whisperer. And that's where the title the whore whisperer comes from. Do you have any other tips for sex worker whores or just girls that like to date rich guys and, and make some money in the meantime? Well, that is kind of uh, that has kind of turned into part of my brand, which is not, <laughs> was not what I'm after. Still not what I'm after. I'm just, I'm just trying to be fun. So, you know, so yeah, some of the advice I've given these girls is do not let a guy take you shot. You do not want to go shopping at Prada. You do not want to go shopping at Gucci. You do not want to go shopping at Valentino or Louis Vuitton even for that matter. Why? Because those are non-depreciating assets the appreciating liquid assets or the ones that never lose money, there's really only two brands in in women's finery, and that's Chanel and Hermes. And Chanel bags, like them, don't like them, doesn't matter. They they hold with the S&P 100, you know? They, they never lose money, and they all, quite often gain money. And during COVID, supply chain got cut short, and you could take, you could you know, take a Chanel bag that was two years old in decent condition and sell it for more than a new one. Yeah. So, you know, I always tell them, you buy clothes with your own money, buy shoes with your own money, get bags from Chanel and Hermes. So a lot of people have done quite well with that advice. And then I'm just like, well, what if a guy wants to buy me a watch? And I'm like, you never take women's watches because they have no resale value. And if it is a watch, it has to be one of the big three Geneva brands. So like... Patek Philippe, Audemars Piguet, Vacheron Constantin, or Rolex is evergreen. Rolex is always blue water, but always get men's ones. And, you know, men's watches are for women are, are kind of in style anyway. Mm. What about other jewelry? Like, what about, like, I just saw something um, about, you know, how everyone has the gold Cartier bracelets. I love bracelets. But that guy, but this guy said, the, the fakes are so good now that, you shouldn't buy 
those real Cartier oh, always, gold bracelets always anymore. Always skip the love bracelet. Yeah, uh, VCA always does well. Van What's Cle- VCA? Van oh, Cleef and oh. our pals. So if you can get if you can get that, um, I always say skip diamonds unless they're branded. So unless it's Groff or Harry Winston, you're going to get pennies on the dollar for for your diamond unless it's massive and flawless. Even Tiffany. I mean, Tiffany, most of the stuff has no resale value and it's drecky. But if you get a big Tiffany, you know, VS1, VS2 giant diamond, take that. But uh, but yeah. Um, I saw this other girl giving tips about how to act like you're really interested in a guy and take him shopping, but trick him into it. And so she was like, so you go, you say, um, you go, ooh, you're walking by and you go, ooh, I just want to go in this store for a minute and look at this something. Do you mind if I try this on and get your opinion? So you're not saying buy it for me or anything. And then you try it on and you're like, what do you think? Or you might even bring the guy like flirty with him. Like it was zip me up in the dressing room and like have him. This is like you haven't boned him yet, but like making him think it. And then you know, and then you'll be like, well, that was, that was nice, but no, I'm not, you know, I'm not getting it. And then he'll most likely insist on getting it. And you know, that's the way you get stuff. And does it work? Well, like according she had to this little... girl, I thought the way she said it, I'm trying to remember all the stuff, but I thought it was, you know, um, you know, I thought it was pretty, it was pretty good how she like was subtle about it. Cause that's my question. If you're not on a sugar baby website and you're dating someone that can afford to buy you some stuff, but you don't want to appear like that's the only reason you're there. Do you have any advice for that? Because you want to act like you're just like not that girl, you know, so that they keep liking you. But here's the thing from a male perspective, and I don't have this fetish, but yeah. but it is a big male fetish to to save women, to shower women. Yeah. To, and it's a it's a flex of power. This is who I am. I can take you to eat here and I can buy you this and I can buy you that. And that's how they sort of, you know, exhibit their power. Yeah, I think for really rich guys, it's not at all like they're being taken or anything. No. Because that's what they want and it is a flex and they like it. And they, I mean, they And it's a transaction they're comfortable with. Like to a really rich guy, uh, you know, giving a girl a pair of shoes from Gucci is like me giving you a candy bar. Like it doesn't mean anything to rich people. And they're happy. But to that 25 year old, just to tell all her friends, oh my God, you know, $1,100 pair of Louboutins showed up at my door by his driver. Yeah, like, how guy. hot and exciting is that? That girl is, like, in love with you in a hot second. Yeah. I remember, um, this is funny, but this comedian, Burt Kreischer, said this. He goes, you know, I got to a place in my life recently where I was able to, like, have this car delivered, my dream car, whatever. And the car is there, and his wife of 20 years, who he has two kids with, comes home, and she's like, oh, you got your car. Cool. Like, that was it, you know? And he's like... Now imagine, like, if I took a 25-year-old that I was on a second date with in this brand new car, how she would be like, ah! like, taking photos, telling all her friends. And it's, that's what it is. But, like, if it's your wife of 20, you know, five years that, you, that you've accumulated the wealth with, and this isn't the first nice car that she's seen you get, and she has a nice car, it's like, 
well, no, I'm not going to go blow you in the garage right now. That's right. Because, like, it's not that big of a thing. Do you know about the car scam, the rich guy car scam? No, do tell. So this is a big move among celebrities and rich guys. Okay. Where they'll they'll go take the girl to the Porsche dealer, Tesla, whatever it is. Yeah. Buy them the luxury, buy them the luxury car. And then when they're t- and then they don't have to buy them anything else. They just have to take them out to dinner. And then three months later, it turns out the whole thing was a lease under the guy's name, and they just send someone over to take it back. I've seen so many girls get hustled. So if a guy's telling you he's taking a car, you're like, title my name. Yeah. Or no deal, because nine times out of ten you're getting scammed. I'm not going to name any names here because I hate getting sued. But there are some very famous celebrities who pull this. Scam. And does Rappers, the girl, athletes. Does the girl really not know? Because I would think I would be like, uh, clearly, like, this isn't my car forever. And, but I might as well enjoy it for as long as I can and take they, my girlfriend's around. They, they don't ask. They see the car with the red bow around it from the dealer. And they're like, this athlete, you know, bought me a Porsche. Yeah. Uh, and they really think it's there. So that's actually on one of my videos. I was like, car in they, your name or no deal they, they and no to, leases. They have to also know because it's like, who's paying the insurance, the, the maintenance, all that. You, don't, you would need that whole big package from Porsche, even if you were Heather, on the lease. You're, you're a valley girl. <laughs> I'm a Chicago guy. We didn't just fall off the turnip truck, but plenty of people in this town just fell off the turnip truck. I guess especially if you're not here and you're like, I just fell into this like fancy Hollywood life. This is what I was meant to be. I'm so hot. This guy likes me. And what about um, shelf life of some of these girls? Like where they're really living their life on their looks and it's not their sparkling personality that they get invited to the parties. It's not because the guys love talking to them for hours. No. Do you think those women realize that? I I hope so because beauty is a perishable good. You know, you know we all want to age like first growth Bordeaux, but you know I can only speak for myself that I'm kind of aging like milk in the Texas sun. So you know, like, but hopefully they can convert it. Like I know, and he's from Texas. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. So like I know that I know this one girl who was like a neighbor of mine and yeah. she was all about it. She was shameless. She'd go out with these really old, really rich guys and she knew the clock was ticking. And with the really old guys, would she have to bone them or were they so old she didn't have to or it'd be a real quick Viagra thing? She actually preferred she said cause she's like you date a rich guy in his early 30s he's going to bang you for three straight hours she's like an old guy if he can make anything happen at all it's going to be all of five minutes right yeah so that's why a lot of these ex time is types, money yeah yeah and they're just like hopefully he'll you know you don't want to eat his overcooked vegetables and be asleep by 7 p.m yeah so but this one landed one i i don't know how she did but she's dating this older guy she's living on a gated compound they fly in his Gulfstream all over the world, you know, and I and I like I'm kind of like a fairy godmother to these girls because they are so dumb, you know. So like a lot of them, so so I'm like, make sure you send send me. They're like, he has a jet, and I'm like, send me a selfie of you, like make it like you want to be a, a selfie with the jet, but make sure you get the tail number in the frame. And they're like, why? And I'm like, explain it to you later. And there's this website called FlightAware. So she sent me a selfie, and I was just like, okay. It is. uh, It's not his plane. It's a rental. It's thirty-five years old. Which, to be fair, I I don't know about you guys. I don't own a thirty-five-year-old Gulfstream either. You know, or even to fly a chartered private. Who cares? It's still private. Right. But I was just like, it's not his plane. Uh, It's a recent remodel. But 
But this guy takes very good care of her. They live in a compound. She seems to really love him. You know, he's made his money, so he's not at work all the time. They fly all over the place. And I don't know, some dreams come true, I guess. So now, how old is this girl? 25. And the guy's like, what, 60? Late 60s. Woof. Okay, but, so, but a but a fit late sixties like a like goes to the gym every day late sixties like he's he's gray but he's you know kind of shredded and has a lot of energy. I mean, still though, that's forty years. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, do you have any tips about like okay, it's been a year, honey, and I just want to make sure that like I'm not going to end up in an apartment with three friends in Pomona. If you dump me or die or I, enter a coma and your kids are like, we won't even let me to visit the hospital room. So what tricky. do you suggest how do you for that? How do you close? That's the question, right? Like, I how, think how do you... this is what I would do. And I'm just, I'm just thinking about it now. But I do think that um, it's so funny because just recently I said to Captain Sandy that a, a movie that changed my life, I was about nine years old, it was with a... Uh, Victoria Principal. It was called The Mistress. Somebody just looked it up. And she was an actress and she was the mistress. And she got she was so excited to tell her sugar daddy that she got a part in a soap and that it's going to film next week. She finally booked a part. And I thought her life was so glamorous. As I'm watching this at nine, and it was that he said, um, no, you can't because we're going to New York and that's my only time with you. And you're basically my employee or whatever. Anyway, he dies. The wife, She gets nothing. And then she has to become a regular hooker. I just remembered the ending of the movie. So, um, no, I was like, well, I don't think I want that. I think I would like to maybe pursue the talents cut gave me, which is not being a hooker. But um, I do think there's something important in like, it taught me like, no, you've got to like say, hey, I want a condo in my name. I want something in my name. And I think that's what I would say. Like, can we buy a duplex or something? Or something that then I have some security because I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to take your kids' money and I don't want them to hate me and I don't want to. I believe there can be a heterosexual transactional, transactional relationship that can be beneficial to both and be fine. Yeah. Not everybody is going to have the most notebook-worthy love story that, you know, only one person and this and that and you're on this world and if this is what exactly. makes you happy and – and you're like, I don't need the most amazing sex of my life. I'm really thrilled to watch Casablanca with this old fart and, you know, take my mom to Cabo and hang out with my nieces and whatever your case is. And he's nice and who cares? But also know that, you know, it's not a re it's not a regular marriage of two people that get married but at 25. Where, but where's the line? I look at every ex-playmate friend and every ex-supermodel yeah. friend of mine who married a guy who looks like Alan Dershowitz, who lives behind Gates in Brentwood Park. Yeah. And what's the distinction? That guy was never going to get a girl like this. Right. But she had what he wanted. He had what she wanted. And they actually do love each other. And look, the, the hot sex doesn't last forever. No right, matter anyway. Who, no yeah. matter who you're with. You know, like, if... No matter how hot a girl is, if I don't like her or she bores me after three dates, I really don't want to hang out with her anymore. Yeah. Whereas I can certainly give up a lot of the looks department if I'm laughing all the time. Right. Because all the girlfriends I've ever had, people are like, you don't have a type. You went from like a six foot one blonde to a five foot tall Chinese girl. And I'm like, I do have a type. My type is funny. And that's it. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, that's so. It's all a mosaic. It's a puzzle. Yes. But I mean, it's obviously happens a lot, you know, in certain cities and LA being 
being one of them. And now that it's so out in the open with the sugar baby stuff, and even like on the TikToks where these girls like love to flex it, that like I, and even women flex like, I got married and I don't have to work. Like I just married so well and the guy's not old and I just get to wear my Lululemons and get my hair done and have kids and you should be jealous that I don't have to work. And I'm like, hey, that's fine too. But again, in 20 years, it's rarely you free, might though. feel different. That Exactly. It's, it's rarely, rarely free. free. My grandmother Goldie used to say, anybody who marries for money has earned it. Yes, has never worked harder. Yeah. Something, something like that. There's a saying like that. Yeah, because then it's going to be like, you know, you're expected to have the meal or you're not or you don't have the freedom to go out with your friends or, you know, you don't have any comeback to it. And and, there's always going to be an imbalance. To, yeah. And usually almost without exception, the person with the money has the leverage in the relationship. I dated one um, extraordinarily wealthy woman with a, with the jet, with the whole thing. And she did love me, and I think the best way she could. But she was so used to everyone around her being a submissive. Mm. And I'm just not a submissive. She'd be like, go run this errand for me. Go do this for me. And in the beginning, I thought it was cute. And then she's, you know, she'd start bossing me around, and I would be like, no. You know, I've been in the car all day. I'm not running another errand right now. Just let me relax right now. And then she'd hand me a Wells Fargo envelope, and I'd be like, what's that? She'd be like, that's $10,000. Now go run my effing errand. And I'd be like... Yes, ma'am. <laughs> you know, but eventually I just couldn't take being treated like the help anymore. And it was more to it than that. Right. But when people have like unlimited resources, it's sort of like fame. You know, when you're never told no. Like I remember when all those kids were like Lohan and going back further, Shannon Doherty and all those kids were like wild animals running the streets of L.A. If no one ever told me no from you know, junior high onward, I would have probably turned into a miserable prick too. But right. it's because I've had the shit kicked out of me so many times in life that I'm such a polite person now. <laughs> yeah, and I, well, I also think, you know, if you're, you know, come from money and then you have all that, it's, it is just your worldview. If your worldview is like, I was watching this other thing where there's like a trend going on um, where people say, has anyone ever said have you ever had a rich friend say, say something to you that made you real realize how poor you are? Give an example. And then people were like doing stitches in this one kid. He was a young Jewish kid from upstate New York. And he's like, I got to go to this camp, but I got like a scholarship or something. But so I was like the diverse kid just because I wasn't super rich. But because he was white, everyone just assumed he was another upper whatever east coast right. person and they would be like he'd be like what they'd be like what are you doing this weekend he's like i'm going to my dad's and he's like oh where where does your dad have a home he's like what do you mean it's it's just his home no but where's his summer home that you're going to for the for the weekend off that? and he's like just his apartment in brooklyn or whatever it was and it's just and it's like this nothing it's nothing wrong with those kids, but no. if that's all you know, it's like the thing when someone who has a private jet goes, oh, I was so embarrassed. We had to take commercial, and my daughter said, mom, why are all these people on our plane? Well, if all she knows yeah, I is don't... taking a private jet, how would they know different? And so it is sometimes I, I was, you know, I do think, not boohoo, but it is a challenge, I would think, it for really wealthy people to try to teach their kids you know, like, um, 
you know, to make them really aware that what this is is not normal and, you know. Yeah, and and to not let them run amok. Right. Like I have a, a guy I went to college with became ex- extremely successful. He was a he was a Goldman Sachs banker, retired in his early 40s, has all the money in the world. And his kids don't get shit till they're 50. 50. Wow. Because he's yeah. just like, I've seen what it does. It destroys people. And even Warren Buffett was just like, you know, I give them enough to do something. I don't give them enough to do nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's very true. And then, But also then there's this other part of like people being, you know, rude about the fact that maybe your parents gave you a down payment for a house. And like, you know, I watch a lot of housewives and they're always like, your mom bought your house. And then someone said, well... Don't we all want to get to a place that hopefully in 25 years that you could buy your four-year-old a condo or give them a down payment? Isn't that what Absolutely. we want? I'm rooting for those people. Yeah, like yeah. don't we want that? Why? Why? It shouldn't be a dig to someone that they that they do have some generational wealth. You know, <clears throat> I feel like it's like a weird flex to say like, oh, I was raised poor. I didn't come from anything. Did you ever see that interview where Paris Hilton said, I had no idea I was rich until I went over to another kid's house? Yeah. Like she just didn't know because that was her frame of reference. Right. And I love her and I, you know, I, I root for everybody to be successful as long yeah. as you're a nice person. And and what, what's great about Paris too is that she came from all this and became fa- famous really the first type of person to be a real influencer or anything, but took it and, you know, did a million fragrances and a DJ and Licensing TV shows and, and all this team. stuff. She didn't just you know, try to marry the first rich guy at 21 and do nothing, you know? So it's like, it is, it is really interesting. Okay. Before we go, I want you to tell, um, this Joan Rivers story because I love Joan Rivers and you, uh, photographed her. So what's the story there? I love Joan. So I got a call. I think it was from one of Dita Von Teese's who I've been working with for decades. One of her production people says, do you like Joan Rivers? I said, who doesn't like Joan Rivers? And they're like, uh, do you want to do want to do a shoot with her? And I was like, of course I want to do a shoot with her. When is it? And they're like, okay, well, there's going to be a camera crew there, so you might have to work around them. So I said, sure. So I was shooting at Pier 59 Studios, and um, and I was stoked. So I, I get to the studio, and I'm, and I'm always early for shoots because I'm ADD, and I just need to be alone and just stare at a blank stage before 100 people come in and ask me questions. So I'm sitting there. And I'm just there sitting my coffee, looking at this white psych, figuring out how I'm going to light her and what we're going to do. And all of a sudden, I hear this unmistakable voice going, what time Scott get here? And I'm like, I'm Scott. She goes, you're always early. I'm always early. And I'm like, cool. She goes, you want to have breakfast together? I was like, yeah, of course. So we sit down and we're talking. And she goes, you know, she goes, your work's very nice. Uh, and I said, thanks. She goes, that's not why you're here. I said, No. She goes, this isn't even really a photo shoot. And I said, what is it? She goes, we're shooting an episode of Jonah and Melissa, and, it take, and we get in a big fight, and it takes place behind the scenes of a photo shoot. And I said, okay, why me? And she goes, because I, I hear you're Jewish and you're very funny. I said, I'm funny. I'm not you funny. She goes, sweetheart, nobody's me funny, <laughs> which is true. Um, so we had, the, we had the best time, and, and, and it was kind of like, Joan's the kind of person there's nothing you could say to shock her. So we were almost having a contest to see how offensive we could be to each other. Like, and I could tell, like, some of the things we would say would, like, make Melissa just roll her eyes. Right. So, and we were just, like, winding each other up. So while we're shooting, she goes, hey, Scott. And I said, yeah, Joan. She goes, do your balls sag? 
I said, what? And she goes, what are you, deaf? I asked you a question. Do your balls sag? I said, yeah, a lot more than they did when I was a teenager. She goes, my vagina sagged so much that this morning when I got out of bed, I stepped on it. It looked like I was wearing one of those big gray fuzzy rabbit slippers. And I literally had to hand someone my camera and walk away, doubled over laughing. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and then she was just like, let's go fuck with the front desk lady. And I go, why? She goes, there's nothing else to do. Let's go fuck with the front desk lady. I go, okay, what are we going to do? She goes, okay, I'm going to take my roller board and uh, you're going to just like be obsequious and you're going to go, Miss Rivers, Miss Rivers, can I help you with anything? And, and she goes, and just just uh, improv the rest. I go, okay. So I'm walking behind her. She's just like walking with her shades on and her pashmina and her Birkin. And and I go, Miss Rivers, Miss Rivers, can I help you? And she just drops the Birkin, drops the rollerboard, and just walks out the door. And then uh, and then uh, we were we were like visibly upsetting Melissa. Uh, and I go, Joan, what are you doing later? She goes. I'm not doing anything later. I'm just going to like go back to the room and order room service. I go, that's what I was thinking. She goes, what were you thinking? I go, I go, let's hang out tonight. Let's like order room service, take a bath. And Melissa's like, oh my God. And Joe, we're just fucking with each other. And she goes, and, uh, and she goes, Scott, I'm too old for you. I'm like, I don't think so. I think we're like soulmates and we're just kind of screwed by age. But I think you and I are supposed to be together. She's like, I don't know. Um, but, uh, there were so many things that she happened. She was so she was so great, and like saying that she came early. I think you also said that she was like, um, and I remember this from her documentary, like you know that happened right before she got back on E and all the success before the Joan Melissa show, and how she said like, um, I don't get any dates anymore. I have a blank calendar. It's all Kathy Griffin. That was the oh, what yeah. a face or whatever that documentary was. And so she said something to you about that. I yeah, saw yeah, that was really good career advice. So she said to me, you know, she was not afraid to ask an inappropriate question. So she said to me, she said, Scott, what's the most money you ever made in a photo shoot? Which is like, nobody asks anybody that. And I go, what? And she goes, what do you have shit in your ears? I asked you a question. What's the most money you ever made? And I said, $85,000. And she goes, that's a lot of fucking money. Who, who paid you that? And I said, Google. And she goes, oh. She goes, do you ever turn down work? I said, I do sometimes turn down work. And she said, don't ever do that. And I go, Joan, sometimes there are shoots where what they're expecting exceeds the cost, where I can't afford the gear. I can't afford the location. I can't afford the insurance. She goes, you figure it out. You take everything. You say no to nothing. She said, three years ago, I was playing shitty bars in casinos and everyone was talking and nobody was listening and now I play the biggest rooms in the world and she goes and you know what three years from now I could be back to playing those shitty bars you figure it out you say yes to everything your enemy your only enemy in this world is the white calendar which was good advice yeah and she goes how much are you getting paid to do this show and I said she goes you're not getting paid anything yeah and she goes why and I said because I fucking love you I've always loved you and I didn't mention this in the TikTok, but I was like, you know, the other, you're the first celebrity I ever met. She goes, get out of here. Where? And I said, I looked, read in the local newspaper in Wilmette, Illinois, that Joan Rivers was coming to sign autographs at a screening of Rabbit Test, which is a movie Joan directed way yeah. back when. So I said, so me and my friend Eli got on our Schwinn Varsities and we rode our bicycles to the movie theater. She goes, you prick. I go, why are you calling me a prick? She goes, you rode your bicycle? You had to make me look 100 years old? And I'm like, well, you are older than me. And uh, she goes, did that really happen? What was I wearing? I said, you were wearing this like luxurious camel hair coat and like a scarf. And she goes, I remember that coat. You were there. Totally. Yeah. And then she's like, repeat it on the thing, you know, while yes. they were taping the show. So I repeated, I was like, you're the first celebrity I ever met. 
And then she's like, how old were you? And I was like, I was like 11. And she goes, fuck off. And she walked away from me. She, yeah, it was, it's just, yeah. And uh, the greatest work ethic and all of that. And so, and so, so great. Oh, hey, oh, and the other thing she yeah. said to me, which I found out was a joke she'd used over and over. But all comedians yeah, do yeah, that. We, yeah. we all like recycle our best material. But she said, Scout, you ever been to my apartment? I said, no, Joan, how would I have ever been to your, your apartment? She goes, you should come. It's nice. I said, yeah, what's it like? She's like, come for Passover. I go, what's your apartment like? She says, how Marie Antoinette would have lived if she had as much money as me. <laughs> She's like, so great. I know, and I love that she wasn't apologetic about liking the finer things in life yeah. and deserving them. You know? I also like that she never apologized. Yeah. Like if she said a joke, like she said a, a few jokes about some famous people I know that really hurt their feelings. Oh, yeah. But it's almost like the First Amendment. Like, I, I defend their right to to say it. You know, like... Oh, 100%. Like, yeah. I don't agree with everything that Chappelle said about the whole Kanye thing. Yeah. You know, but I defend his right to say it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's like... Because that's what jokes are. Yeah, it really is. And and sometimes I, I ask Melissa, I go, what do you... How do you think she would have reacted to this huge change in our social what's okay from the last 10 years since she's passed it's just like you know and canceling people and not being able to say anything and she's like i think she would have loved it because she would have been like come for me because i'm not going to play this game she of, never backed down yeah of, of all of it and she probably would have been like you know I think she could have gotten away with it more than other people just because she always did and she was older. And she's the OG. But yeah. But I'm um, so mad about you know you saw the Tiger Woods thing that happened, right? At Riviera. Well he say, why did he with hand, the tampon? But why did he hand that guy a tampon? They just so, were messing so with each other? Tiger Woods is famous for messing with people, okay. you know, farting in people's backswings, or he'd be like they'd be walking down the fairway, he'd be like, Here, can you hold this for me? And it'd be an empty candy wrapper. You know, it's yeah, just yeah. he's a frat boy at heart. Okay. So Tiger Woods is much older. Then I think it was Justin Thomas. Okay. And the fact that Tiger outdrove his drive off the tee was t calling him a bitch. Right. You know, like, I'm older than you. I hit the ball farther than you. Here's your tampon. Which is a legit joke. Yes. It shouldn't offend anybody. It doesn't offend me. And I was reading other women. No women were offended. No women golfers were offended. And I know he's got sponsors to take care of, but I would never, ever, I would have been like, I'm not apologizing for that joke. It's a legit joke. I handed him a tampon. If you don't think it's funny, I'm sorry. Yeah. But it was, it, yeah. I did he it was Did he have to say sorry? He did a press conference and he says, oh. I, I deeply apologize if anyone was offended. And I'm just like, you know, the drugs and the cheating on your <laughs> wives. I was fine with all that. You apologizing for the tampon joke? Yeah. I'm mad at you now. Yeah, now I feel like that, that was not authentic because you know you don't feel that way yeah. and it was funny um wait i want to show this one little bit um yeah. of her this is when you guys are doing the show what you look like lit put you on this box okay how is the lighting let's we're gonna get it dialed in let's sit right there is that comfortable for you oh yeah very, i can't wait it's like auschwitz how comfortable can this be cooper melissa <laughs> what you look like lit put you on this box amazing yeah um well, thank you so much for coming. This was thank so you. fun. Well, you, you have great stories. Tell everybody where they can follow you. Uh, Instagram and TikTok, Scott Nathan Photo. Uh, Pre-orders for the book uh, is baddecisionsbook.com, and you can get on the mailing list, and uh, hopefully that's uh, coming pretty soon. I will definitely read it and then have you back again. Thank you so when, much. For um, when it's available. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you. This was great. All right.
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.